Welcome to Paul.com Security Weekly, episode 107 for May 9th, 2008. This episode is sponsored by Core Security Technologies, helping you penetrate your network. Rock out with your exploit out because the new client-side modules rock. Listen to this podcast and qualify to receive a 10% discount on Core Impact, the world's best penetration testing tool. We are also sponsored by Tenable Network Security. Tenable is the developer of enterprise vulnerability compliance and log management software, but most notably, the creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Tenable Security Center extends the power of Nessus through reporting, remediation workflow, IDS event correlation, and much more. Tenable also offers a direct feed subscription for immediate access to new Nessus plugins and compliance checks. Tenable, unified security monitoring. And welcome to this edition of Paul.com Security Weekly, an entertaining look at the current information security news, vulnerabilities, and research. I am Paul Party Foul Asadorian. And I am Larry. Pe- Larry, I get to eat solid food for the first time in three days. Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, it's just, un- I-, I poured beer all over my house. That's essentially what I've <laughs> yep. just done. There was, yes. in fact, a beer flood. I need to uh, to drink some, move on with the show, and tell you about a deal that we have with Sands. Ooh. Go to paul.com.com. That's P-A-U-L-D-O-T-C-O-M.com forward slash Sands. Use that. That will magically, through the wonders of the internet, transport you to the Sands website. Assuming, of course, the <clears throat> tubes are not clogged. That's right. Once you get to the Sands website on the internet when the tubes are not clogged, you can register for fabulous training and certification. When you do that, proceeds will benefit the show. We buy free stuff. We send it to people who help us out. We go to conferences. We give it away. It supports the podcast. So go do that. Paul.com.com. P-A-U-L-D-O-T-C-O-M.com forward slash Sands. <coughs> Man. And don't forget to check out Whew. network security projects using hacked wireless routers with Mr. Paul.com himself. Uh, Washington, D.C., July 23rd at Sandsfire. Uh, and there's also going to be a uh, joint podcast with the ISC folks. Well, I have all this well. coughing. I'm actually preparing for our joint <laughs> Yeah, podcast. joint. Oh, the joint. You're preparing for the joint. Gotcha. <laughs> Kill me. <clears throat> I unfortunately will not be able to make that one, but Paul will be there. And, I'll uh, be with Joel and uh, Johannes yep. and the other ISC handlers, and we're going to record a podcast together. It's going to be fun time. So if you're there on day zero, that's July 23rd, 7 o'clock p.m., we will be somewhere at the conference performing the podcast mm. live. I am uh, trying to convince Paul to bring me in via video Skype, and we'll see how it goes. We'll see. We have a lot of there are a lot of you technical are. challenges They're, on day ab- zero of the conference. Absolutely. I'm a bit worried about that. So uh, we are going to attempt to stream the audio live. So stay tuned for the details. Yes. 
And speaking of SANS conferences... The Pentest Summit, June 2nd and 3rd. Uh, I will be there in sunny Las Vegas, Lost Wages. Uh, I'll be participating in two panels, uh, one on penetration testing with Core Impact and another one on the Best of Security Cons, presenting uh, a shortened version of my Rogue Access Points for pen testers. So uh, come see us there and uh, take some training. Good stuff. Also, don't forget to join our mailing list. You can find details on our website. We have a Google group called Paul.com that you can join. That will uh, also – part of that group is how you join the mailing list. Join a mailing list for fabulous discussions. Join our IRC channel, poundsignpaul.com and irc.freenode.net. Yes. Oh, and uh, don't forget uh, paul.community.blogspot.com. That's right, paul.community. Yeah, we haven't had a posting there in a while. Yeah. So, uh, guys, step up, sign up for an account, let us know. Uh, PSWAPaul.com.com will add you so you can uh, actually blog on it as well. And you can, uh, in fact, blog, quote, anonymously. So don't feel free to use a pseudonym. We also have a blog on our own website that Larry and I post to on a uh, frequent basis most of the time. Yeah, no, we, we get some stuff in there. We do. We do. We've been pretty good at keeping up with the blog, making mm-hmm. blog postings, insightful commentary, how-tos. So check out our blog. Go to the website and uh, check us out. That's mm-hmm. P-A-U-L-D-O-T-C-O-M dot com. I have a posting that I'm working on, uh, a little adventure uh, from Bob. <laughs> nice. And, nice. Uh, we love to hear from yep. Bob. And hacking voting systems. Mm. Not those kind of voting systems, but for online contests. So our our technical segments this week were fail, uh, technically challenged. But fail. Larry and I collectively decided today that we would talk about them anyway and talk about where we kind of failed. So mm-hmm. and, this and, week's and technical that- segment is more about not so much nitty gritty technical details about how you do X, Y, and Z, but mm-hmm. maybe about how we tried to do X, y, X, y, and Z and, and, and weren't so successful. We did have one success this week, which we will talk about. Yes. Um, which builds on a previous technical segment. Yep. And, and this sort of just goes to show that, um, yeah, it won't always turn up roses. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing more to add to that. Yeah. So there shall we do this? Yeah. A breast pump. You gotta love the 80s cock rock. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Oh my god, man. Like, how often do you get... Freaking marbles in a shopping bag. A vulnerability in your TCP IP stack. At least I'm not a CISP. What do you mean, no spandex? The bag needs some cat hair removal. Hot and heavy on it. Super, 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 super fast pen- pen- penetration. Oh, jeez. Process. Oh no. Processed like that. Oh beautiful. It's way more than twice the number two. Pure reverse engineering. There's a rule, you can't be on the show if you have a mullet. No. Wobby slobby lobby blobby. Bobby sabi lobby. Wobby lobby sabi. Bobby sabi lobby. Ah man, I'm gonna have to Google that. And we're back with the tech light, not mm. so technical segment. Segment, maybe. So yeah, let's get started and talk about VM Awesome. Yeah, and you know what? I get to tell you, it's going to be really hard because I'm quote under doctor's orders not to smile. Are you serious? Yeah, this is going to be difficult. <laughs> it's not That's so like bad a now. Doctor telling you not to burp or fart, masturbate. What? <laughs> <laughs> See, <Crap>. there we go. <laughs> 
Oh, okay, boy. so we're going to start this thing. <laughs> Speaking of doctor's orders, how about VM Awesome? <laughs> Welcome to our Tech Light segment for this week. Oh, man. Let's start about talking about VM Awesome. Right, because we got a bunch of feedback uh, when we talked about some some stuff for small businesses and uh, sort of the topic of our uh, our pilot of Paul.com Security Conversations. Um we got a lot of feedback that a lot of people were using um, Awesome, O-S-S-I-M, um, which may or may not be awesome. <laughs> I said, awesome, not so awesome, awesome, awesome. Right, right, something, right. Like, something that. like that. So um, we decided, hey, you know what? We, we have to check this out. We've heard from a bunch of folks that said they're using it. They really like it. But you know what? Maybe uh, we also heard about VM Awesome for those folks that don't necessarily have the hardware or the uh, wherewithal to go out and build their own system. They provide a VM appliance with Awesome already installed. So, so what is a VM appliance, Larry? So it's a pre-configured uh, VMware image um, that you can download for free because it all contains all open source and or free products. You it's, down you download it, extract it, and fire it up in your VM. It's a great way to test it out. I mean, on any Linux system, it's pretty easy. What I did was I have a test system at work, and I I set up a VMware server for Linux, which is a free download. Mm-hmm. I set that up on Debian, and I downloaded the VM Awesome via a torrent file. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which version. You said there was some right, right. something there that you couldn't get one of the versions. Right. So the the latest version of VM Awesome, it's uh, 0704, I believe. Um, they have advertised on their website. You download the torrent. You fire it up on your torrent client, and there's nobody seeding it. At least that was my experience. Uh, now, see, mine went fine. I Which BitTorrent client did you use, Larry? Uh, Transmit. On OS Tran- Sorry, Transmission, yeah. On OS ten, yes, I used Bitrocket. Bitrocket on OS ten. I liked that one because it kind of sounded like Pocket Rocket. You use that on OS ten, and that is on OS ten. It's called hmm. Bitrocket. I downloaded Bitrocket. Fabulous download. I was getting like two or three hundred k a second. Wow. Yeah. So now here's the. They also. I went and searched um, like BT Junkie or whatever for Via Awesome, mm-hmm. and I no, I'm sorry, I searched the internet for it. I found another torrent for the previous version. Oh. That was seeded, and I downloaded that in about 15 minutes. So, hmm. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So I wasn't able to get the latest one. In fact, my uh, BitTorrent client uh, transmission is still waiting for seeders for that. And that came from the official VM Awesome torrent tracker. So, in any case, we got one. What did you think of VM Awesome um, or Awesome or, or uh, what, uh, what are we talking uh, about? We're talking about Awesome. Uh, so, open source, source SIM security information, information manager or yes. or SEM security event manager. Right. This is an IM, so it's a information information manager. So yeah. basically, it takes Snort. Um, like RRD tool type mm-hmm. uh, P- uh, network graphs, NTOP, PZRF, NMAP, Nessus is in there. And it lets you run all those tools, schedule all those tools, and gives you an interface to do analysis and correlation. Yes. It's got a lot going on. Right. I think, you know, someone I was talking to, I think it was Craigus in the IRC channel, said that, you know, to really truly become like familiar with awesome and make it work for you, you got to spend like a week with it. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, some fairly considerable care and feeding. Yeah, and yeah. and honestly, I didn't have enough. Uh, I didn't yeah. have enough time. I'm sure you didn't either. Larry, no, no. To devote to actually figuring out and making it work. I think that, and I still maintain this. If 
you're one of those small, medium-sized business companies, you might want to take the time or consider taking the time Mm -hmm. to configure and figure it out because it gives you so much functionality for free. It does. It does. I mean, to go buy all the functionality that this does is very, very expensive. So it may be worth your while to spend the time. To spend that time up front. And, you know, no one's saying that once you spend a week with it that, you know, it's going to take all your time every week as you move forward. You know, spend that week with it maybe in the beginning, learn how to use it, and then it can become a very valuable tool in your arsenal. And having in a VM appliance is really nice too. Right. Because it just makes installation so much easier. You can install the Debian packages too, but I'm like, oh my God, it's going to like litter my Debian installation with packages. I'm not even sure if this is something that I want to use all the time. So I really appreciated the the, uh, virtual machine. Right. And I did, you know, I had some, some issues with it. Uh, I attempted to start an Nmap scan, which it did. Um, unfortunately, you have to define the networks. You can't sort of type it in on the fly. You have to pick the network predefined. Uh, I unfortunately mm-hmm. picked the wrong network um, that uh, I probably shouldn't have been scanning with Nmap without some notification to the customers. <laughs> and uh, I attempted to – What did you scan? China? No. I, <laughs> I, I scanned our entire internal uh, RFC 1918 address space, which is quite considerable. Um, nice. Yeah, no. So it started that off, and I'm like, "Where's the cancel button?" Did you run Nessus from I it? I did not. I'm wondering how they what what Nessus version they're using because if they're in a VM and they're distributing it, That's I'm just wondering. Version if, two, isn't it? Yeah, I'm wondering if there's license issues, issues there. Yeah. Um, because there's open vat, open open vat, open vulnerability open assessment, open vag. No, open. Open VAS, I think it's vulnerability uh, yeah, yeah, assessment, assessment system or something. Yep, it's like the fork of Nessus essentially. When so they took the last open source version of the Nessus server and they forked it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's out there too. I I don't know if that project's being kept up to date. I I certainly want to give credit to everyone who develops an open source. Oh, definitely, um, it's I, a lot I of work. I do know that a lot of people who develop open source software listen to the show. And they frequently write in once we talk about their products. So right, and, and yeah. So I like to give my honest opinion, but I like to also give credit to those you know working in open source and yeah. and give back. If you if you find a bug, if you uh, can improve open source software in some way, by all means, mm-hmm. do it. And yeah. you know, if you're evaluating awesome and you see room for improvement, go in, jump in. If you got the skills, talents, or uh, time bandwidth, to put bandwidth. into it, bandwidth, you know. By all means, go for it. Yep. So that being said, Awesome has uh, a lot of value. We had some issues. We had some uh, installation and usage issues with it. Yeah. I mean, but, yeah. but again, we did not probably devote the time that we really needed to. We definitely did not. So that just take that. So take that with a grain of salt. So do you want to talk about the development version of InProtect? Actually, I would like you to talk about the development version of InProtect because I had no in- so, involvement in this. Yeah. I was in the IRC channel. I was talking about InProtect. Lo and behold, one of the members of our wonderful IRC community that you can get to, poundsignpaul.com, IRC to free internet, is one of the developers for InProtect. So yeah. I'm like, really? I'm like, we need to talk. Because I downloaded uh, one of the newer releases a few months ago, and I had some issues with the installation. And he recognized those issues and said, yes, I understand these issues, and I understand that we had bugs 
get the development version of InProtect and install and configure it. And I did that. I had to install a lot of stuff and do a lot of configuration in Debian. I don't think it was necessarily tailored for Debian. He was running FreeBSD, and he said a lot of the other developers were Red Hat, like CentOS people. So I think I struggled there for a good (laughs) portion of the day, one day this week, and which was good. It was a great learning experience. You know, I got to be in there, you know, elbows deep and um, in there configuring the database, configuring all the configuration files, installing all the correct libraries. It was it was great. I had a lot of fun. I want to thank um, this particular individual. Who shall remain nameless. Who will remain anonymous unless he emails me or, or messages me and tells me otherwise uh, for hanging in there with me and putting up with all of my stupid mistakes that I made along the way. Uh, where I left off was I was getting an SSL error when it called Nessus. And it seems that uh, I fixed that problem in one of the scripts. The update plugins.pl script is something that runs. And what it does is it gets the latest plugins, which for newer versions of Nessus, it, it, Nessus gets the plugins, uh, latest plugins by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in older versions, you had to run a script, the update plugins update so whatever it was yeah the old one <laughs> update dash nashes dash plugins uh was like a shell script that did it uh now it's built into the daemon so essentially what they do is they take the plugins uh output from a nessus command line and that comes out in like sql format and they dump it into a database their hmm. database so that they can read that and let you configure it and then run nessus you know against your configuration with the specific plugins so that process was failing. I had to do some debugging work there and figure out that my Nessus RC file was needed to specify the SSL version. I fixed all that. And then when I was running it again, it was still not running. It was getting the SSL version errors. Hmm. And I double-checked my SSL version in the opt Nessus Etsy Nessus D.conf file. That was set to SSL version 3. I set the uh, Inprotect and SSL version 3. That still wasn't working. So I don't know if I got some funky stuff going on with my Nessus client uh, or what. So I, I still got some debugging work there. From what I saw in the interface in Inprotect, it's far superior from all the previous versions. Excellent. It's a lot more user-friendly. Uh, the menuing system, we have a new menuing system. It's much more intuitive than before. Um the installation needs some work. I have to submit them some bug fixes for their installation because it just the installation just doesn't work on on Debian. You have to go in and manually configure a lot of stuff. Which mm. for someone who's got experience installing Linux and Unix software, uh, like myself, I was like, well, I I know what I need to do to make this work. I'm like, but people who aren't really familiar with this whole process are probably going to fall flat down on their face, yeah. and, and it's going to hurt. And and that's fine, and that's how you learn. But probably not something you want to attempt to install if you're not really familiar with Linux and Unix uh, software, especially the MySQL configuration. Um, so I'm going to help them out, submit some bug fixes there, and, and and get past that. But I think that had this all worked, I have I have some kind of higher hopes now for InProtect because the developers did fix a whole bunch of bugs. You do need to install a lot of Perl libraries Uh, because there's actually the php front end 
that lets you interface via the browser. Then there's also the Perl scripts that run in the background that are called by the PHP code to actually run the Nessus commands and and run the scans and then that information gets fed into the database. So it was interesting. I got some some insight into Very cool. into a lot of how it works and um, I would suggest giving it a try on your own. I think if you're FreeBSD and you're Red Hat or CentOS, I think you're going to have a much better installation experience than I did. Yeah. I would love to see a, a virtual machine. So that they're working on it. They, they do have those Nessus server issues. What I'd almost like to see is package everything up in some kind of VM and then make the person just stall, install Nessus manually. Or and, create a script that you execute when you first start it up that will install Nessus for you. No, I can't do that. Oh, you can't? Because the download Nessus, you have to go to the website. Oh, you right, You have to right, accept yeah. the accessible use policy. You have yeah, to yeah, register yeah, yeah. and then download it. And that's fine. Go do that and then just install it on whatever distribution you're distributing. It's not that hard. I mean, it's like one command to install Nessus on, excuse me, Debian. And I, I think that would be of great value. Yeah, Definitely. Because really all I want from it is the web interface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like playing around in the back end, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on yeah. the command line in the database, you know, in the code and the configuration. That's cool and all. But when you go look like I am to roll it out to 20 people, uh, you don't want them – you don't want to have to go do that for everyone. Yeah, you no. don't want to have to go support that whole thing. You want them to just be able to hit their nice, pretty, easy GUI and go on with life. So uh, mm-hmm. I think a VM would be a, a good idea. And he did say that they are working on it. So uh, we cool. to talk about some more uh, on the intrusion detection side. Yeah, we tested the new version of Anvil, Anvil. in a previous. Did we? Did we yeah, we were looking at version four, weren't we? We Not version were. three. We're, version Excellent. four. Excellent. Came out a couple of weeks ago. The last time we talked about Anvil, I think it was like the day after we talked about it, or like that week. They came out with – they went from version 3 to version 4. Yep. And I had no idea what that meant. Like sometimes that can mean – Big things minimal, or things. Yeah, minimal improvement or you know bug fixes or whatever. And sometimes that can mean major changes. In this case, major changes. huge freaking major changes like the entire interface. Now, it uses Flash, which I was kind of like eh. – Twitchy would have a conniption. Yeah, I'm not quite thrilled about the whole Flash thing. However, yeah. functionality-wise – it's not so bad. Yeah, I, yeah. There's some issues, you know, being able to copy and paste and stuff from Flash and yeah. The there are usability, and so when you load the Anvil four interface, it works really, really well. Like the database setup, the installation's great. Mm-hmm. It's written in uh, a lot of PHP code in there. I had to install some PHP libraries, correct, to get that working. Um, what was it that I did? I have to GD. install GD. Yeah, PHP GD was in there, and the standard PHP PHP MySQL PHP Live PHP MySQL because it has to interact with the database. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't necessarily it, the installation instructions aren't complete yet for this new version. It doesn't actually tell you that. So I just kind of was like, well, it needs to create a database, and it's written in PHP, so it's going to need PHP five dash you know my SQL as it is in Debian. So I installed those packages. Yep. So that that was all pretty smooth. I got the installation worked out. And it loads this really cool interface. You can like load different backgrounds. And it loads in a browser, but you can load a different background. You can have multiple windows open mm-hmm. at one time. Uh, so it comes with this little window manager and this menu system. I think the window manager and the menu system was Flash. 
and the PHP code must have been what was interfacing with the database. Yep. The things that were kind of quirky about the web, the interface, was you couldn't resize the windows. Bad. So like if you go to the live event monitor and it lists all the events as they're happening, mm-hmm. like so you, you can make like, that window bigger. Right, you get like 30 events and that's it. Right, right. And the other annoying thing was a lot of the windows. So it, it, what was really neat was like as events came up in the live event window, you could double click on them. And it would pop up a screen. It would tell you the snort signature, source port, destination port, all of that information, and the full packet contents right, right in that window. That was cool. I really, really, really liked nice. how easy it was to get to the full packet contents because that's where the juicy stuff is most mm-hmm. of the time. So working with that was was good. I like that feature. Um, but if you go to copy and paste from any of those windows, like yeah, if you just wanted the weird. source address and you didn't necessarily want the payload, it was really kind of quirky. Yeah. Um, but one of the nice features to, to flip back to the positive was it had this search field down the bottom. Mm-hmm. Which may or may not work as we expect. Yeah. Sometimes we type stuff in the search field that we thought should work and, and didn't. didn't. But like if you went in there and you typed the word malware – it would bring up all the alerts that had in their description the word malware. Yeah. That was kind of neat. If you typed in like a source IP address, sometimes it would bring up alerts with that source IP address. And sometimes it wouldn't. Yeah, sometimes it wouldn't. So it was a little a little quirky there. Um, you could create reports. There were a bunch of canned reports. You mm-hmm. could create your own reports mm-hmm. based on that same search kind of functionality, which I think is a really, really powerful thing mm-hmm. once they kind of – I don't know. If, maybe it was just because they hadn't published the documentation. So Larry and I were just kind of like, what? what's Wait that do? Right. What's that do? Right. And one of the other things that we played with was uh, some email alerting, yes. uh, which we did not get successfully working. But it was really, really powerful because you could do uh, specific alerting on actions. specific yeah. – Yeah, specific alerts on specific actions. Right. There was a, in the menu, I forget which menu it was, you went down there and you went to actions, you could, based on your search criteria, it could be a source IP address, could be destination IP address, it's basically like a filter, could be contents of the packet, could be a, a unique, identif- the, uh, unique ID for the rule, mm-hmm. you can specify that. Then you can say for every time we get a match on either all of these conditions or any of these conditions, so it gave you some flexibility there, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Take this action. You want to delete the alert. You want to ignore it. You want to email uh, someone and alert them about it. Do you want to run a shell script? I mean, that opens up a whole world of possibilities. Right. I mean, you can do anything that you want, really, from there. Right, right. Uh, so, so I thought that was yeah. really good. So, Paul, one of the things that we had discussed was if you have uh, the ability to programmatically uh, access WMI in a Windows workstation from a Linux command line, you could conceivably say, oh, well, if this machine has – um, malware, spyware, IRC client, botnet right. client installed on it, and you can confirm that. Connect to it with WMI and credentials, and reconfigure its networking interface to an invalid IP address for your network. So it essentially takes it off the network. Yeah, I mean, if you have any other kind of network admission control system or mm-hmm. network registration system, you could take that person off the network by putting them in a uh, a different VLAN. If you have you know access to your switches or yep. your network access control, I know we always talked about that when I worked for a university. Uh, so, but you'd need to make sure that your false positive rate was really really, really low. low. Uh, I think a lot of those malware rules trigger on, as we saw today. Uh, and we were using, uh, we should state that we were using the latest as of today emerging threats snort rules. Yes. 
And only the emerging threats snort rules. Right. That was it. We tuned snort to um, not trigger on things like TCP options like we had discussed in a previous mm-hmm. technical segment. Mm-hmm. Um, I also went into mm-hmm. things like the HTTP inspect preprocessor. Yep. And I told it not to alert on anything because that was generating a lot of false positives. Mm-hmm. As well as uh, port scan. Yeah, I turned off the port scan module altogether. Yep. I think that if you want to detect port scans, that the dark net um, idea that we talked about would be the best bet there. Right. So monitor your unused IP address space for that. Yep. And that, that you can just, I would just configure a snort rule for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would, you know, integrate great. I, I think the new version of Anvil is, is great. Um, Should we talk- certainly not to take away from our good friend Kevin Johnson and the, 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 Efforts that he's made with base, absolutely. Uh, you know, base is still I, I and still as an analyst, like I was using Anvil today, Larry. And I don't know if you could, you probably heard me a couple mm-hmm. times go. I like, I Where just want to see this. That's, like, I just want to yeah. see a list of unique alerts mm-hmm. sorted by the most frequent one. Right. And like, it had a thing to do that, but it wasn't getting updated. Uh yep. And and uh, one and it wasn't complete. Like, I want to see. All of the alerts in a database sorted by the alert that they triggered and the number of times that it triggered. And mm-hmm. I want to see the most frequent all the way down. And I want to be able to sort on date. And I want to be able to sort on the most frequent to the least yep. frequent. And that, I, and like, I, I almost wanted to, I, I was almost dead. And I, if it was my network, I would also install base to have right. to that, have that as functionality well. because yep. I, I, me, again, it goes back to the VI Emacs mm-hmm. thing. And one of the other folks that was with us today looking at that said, sort of, uh, you know, after we were done with the install and let it, uh, you know, do its thing, was looking at it and said sort of the same things. How do I see this? Right. And it was very much the same sort of things. So, you know, we weren't the only ones. Right. Um, should we talk about one of the things that we kind of discovered with that about um, basic auth? Yeah. Yeah. So we discovered an application that Paul and I use quite frequently um, for Twitter. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure where you were going yeah, with that, but so, good. Yeah, I'm um, glad you went there. Yeah. So the uh, application that we use uh, for Twitter called Twitterific. Fail. Fail. Security fail. Security fail. Dot com. Um, so <laughs> by default, Twitterific logs into Twitter using basic auth, which is base64 encoded username and password. Um, the bleeding snort rules are picking up on that as a policy violation. Uh, Paul grabbed the base64 encoder username and password out of the stream, base64 decoded it, and lo and behold, decoded his own username and password for Twitter. Okay. I, I was being all sneaky and evil about it because I thought it was Larry's. Uh, yeah. But which, it was really mine. I'm like, oh, crap. Which, which, at, which at the point I was sitting at the Twitter change your password page. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't. It wasn't mine. And you uh, Twittered the Twitterific people. Yep. And uh, I have yet to hear from the Twitterific people. But you heard from someone else. I did. And uh, he said that they were asked that before. And they said it's too much overhead for Twitterific. To be SSL. Right. Encrypted. Right. But there is a way that you can change it. He sent me the commands via uh, direct message and I have yet to test it. The command really like yeah, command a, line like, commands. Yeah, it's a command line option command. It's interesting. So they just make it hard for you to enable SSL so that everyone doesn't do it. Yeah, pretty I much. See. We will publish those commands. Actually, yep, it came from Lee Hinman. Thank you, Lee. Ye- so those were our uh, respective adventures in intrusion detection and vulnerability management software. It's a hot topic right now. 
um, for especially myself uh, and Larry for some initiatives that I have going on. Mm-hmm. So I've just been, you know, testing different things, keeping an open mind, trying to, you know, define my requirements, define what it is I want from all the software, see what's the most user friendly, easy to set up and deploy. So we just like to share that with our listeners. And that was uh, this week's segment on that. Maybe next week we'll have more information or, you know, we may just transition to you know, straight how to use this particular pen testing tool, like maybe some metadata stuff. Yeah. And uh, I actually have that command if we'd like it. Let's, let's, we'll put it in the uh, wiki as well. Okay. But here it is. It is a default space write. So default space write, write space com dot icon factory dot twitterific with a capital T space protocol dash string in quotes HTTPS colon whack whack. He Talk said, about convoluted. He said whack, whack, whack. <laughs> yeah. So with that, we'll cut to a short commercial break and come back with the stories for this week. It is so exciting, I can smell it. Give us the juicy stuff. I mean, there was a lot of higher math, which I just don't get. How much did you have to drink? You're right, Larry. We are sorry, but this program has ended and no further calls are being taken. Thank you for calling. I am your favorite. Grasshopper, you need more practice. Master, I don't understand. I practice all day. My NRAP routine is powerful. I can execute Metasploit framework with lightning speed. And I've even mastered kernel hacking. But yet, I still have not reached level 31337. You need to listen to Paul.com Security Paul.com Security Weekly? Yes. You must build your podcasting skills to reach level 31337. Paul.com Security Weekly will help you get there. Master, where do I find this podcast? Still much to learn. Go to paul.com.com forward slash podcast for all the latest security news, vulnerabilities, and research. Thank you, Master. You're very wise. And we're back. With the stories for this week, here's Johnny, and we're here to talk about GNU Citizen Creates the House of Hackers. I got to go on there and add some more friends. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah, so, I, just, I just signed up and haven't done much with it since. It's a very neat uh, little concept it that is. Uh, PDP and the folks from GNU Citizen came up with, and it, it made some headlines this week. Mm-hmm. Uh Security picked it up. I uh, got an invite earlier this week, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think we were some of the first. We we were, we were very privileged uh, to be able to do that. That actually made some uh, more larger national news too, not, not just Heisen. Yeah, I think there were some other big news. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I had this in my uh, – It's a Ning, Ning.com, which is like you can create your own social network. Yep. And um, the goal of it is for a bunch of hackers mm. to collaborate on a social network. And from what I understand, 
he wants to be PDP wants this to be able to be like uh, create groups within this social network to work on penetration testing and actually solicit for work via this medium so that companies or organizations or whoever can come here and say, I need a penetration test and we're kind of this Mm -hmm. resource for hacking. It could be finding vulnerabilities in a device, in an application or, you know, whatever penetration testing or security services that are offered. Mm -hmm. Quote, hire a hacker as it were. (laughs) I think it's a great idea. Yep. Um, You know, there's lots of hackers on here now. And, of course, whenever you get uh, a whole bunch of hackers together in the same place, things will get hacked, including uh, the House of Hackers, the House of Hackers <laughs> website, which uh, Nullbyte, who we talked about last week, who is a great guy, emailed me, uh, exchanged some emails with him this week. I wanted to give him props, so to speak. Uh, he print, puts out some fantastic articles that we've talked about. He put out one and he found a bunch of cross-site scripting vulnerabilities. So not only does Ning.com get to host the House of Hackers, they get some free penetration testing out of the whole deal. Nice. Which I think is a great little side effect. So House of Bless wow. You, House of Hackers, uh, I think it's an invite-only uh, kind of thing. I think you have to be invited. So if you're a hacker, um, we'll, we will most likely be extending invitations. Uh at some point? Uh, at some point. And let's see. I think it's uh, some place for some hackers to call home. Indeed. All right. So, do we, so, so go what check else, it out. What do we else we got here? A tale of firmware reverse engineering. Yeah. Ooh, really? Yes, that's one of our this, listeners sent this in. And, uh, oh, I didn't get a chance stuff. to read this one. This is, uh, this is uh, Rostator's uh, Ret Sayot is Toaster Reversed. And it's a, a tale of quick and dirty firmware reversing, which was really cool. So uh, this I'm is glad from, you. Added, who sent this in? Um, I don't it was remember. A a couple, actually, a couple of people, I, if I'm correctly, sent it in. A couple of listeners, yeah, because they right. know this kind of stuff is right up our alley. You bet. So basically, uh, it came from Montesano, um, and it was talking about being able to quote embed a rootkit and. All the stuff, how they were able to uh, get access to this, quote, networked toaster and uh, some of the steps that they went through on uh, analyzing the code where they were not able to have um, JTAG or, you know, any sort of uh, ability to reflash this other than through uh, some of the interfaces that were already provided to it. But they were able to download firmware from the CD and the Internet and those types of things and, and how they were doing some of the uh, the testing on it. You know, did, did it looked like it may have had some checksums. Um, in some areas to see if the firmware had been modified. It apparently had not. It looks like they ran it uh, through IDA Pro as well. Yep, yep. The, one of the first things they did was the uh, the wonderful strings application. <laughs> That's one of the best reverse engineering tools in your you, arsenal. You and you bet. can see it even came before IDA Pro. You right. Know? So It's free. It's like, right. why not? You never know what you're going to find. Yep. That, I, got- I think, you know, the whole the article could have been... Uh, about half as long had you just done a strings on it and found the password for the device embedded in there and logged in and been able to reconfigure it. You know? Right, right. But yeah. uh, Unless you're actually testing the security of the device. But a lot of times I've found that if you can get a hold of the actual firmware file, the mm-hmm. password is just embedded in clear text right in it. It's not even Base64 encoded like we talked about before. Right, 
Right now, so but their you know their definite intent was to be able to modify the firmware, find out where to modify it to be able to co- include quote a rootkit. So it wasn't necessary that is a to much be able more, to log into it. Yeah, right. that's that's a much more noble right goal. Right. So yeah, strings on this one definitely turned up. They did it with the minus T space X option. Oh, so you get the hex nice. offsets where the strings are found. And the oh. first thing that popped up was a <clears throat> big old VX Works development system banner in ASCII. <laughs> yeah, like you <laughs> said, figure. You think it's running VX Works? You think it nice. might be WRT fifty four G five and six. Yep. Run VX Works, very very popular. Do. They sold a lot of those particular models. But now, some of the um, just to kind of transition. I didn't know if you had anything more on the story. That no, I, I think that's it. I, I highly suggest going and reading the article. It's it's very detailed, and it, it was absolutely absolutely awesome. Just blew my mind and was like, oh well, yeah. I mean, because I don't get into some of the IDA Pro stuff, and uh, I was really impressed as to you know some of the things that I need to be looking for if I start going down that road. So there's a WRT54G2. Is that it? Mm-hmm. There are newer versions. Yes. Of the WRT54G. And they suck. Yeah, because they don't have as much uh, RAM and flash. I thought it was one of those new future. Do they have not Are you spilling more beer in my yes. mug? I thought it was one of those new futuristic looking ones that don't have any antennas on it. Oh, yeah, it might be. I, I think uh, one of those actually branded WTV4G now. I haven't been paying too much attention to it uh, I, lately. I, I looked at Best Buy and didn't see anything yeah. interesting on the shelf. Someone someone emailed us about a G2 at one point. Hmm. A WRT54G2, and that, ah, and that is the futuristic-looking one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I did see those on the shelf. Yeah. It looks like if it were to hover, it would you would report it as an alien spacecraft. Mm. It's and, got or, no external antennas. And if it had wheels, it would run around your floor vacuuming up stuff like your iRobot. <laughs> it does kind of look like an iRobot. Um, it does only have two megs of flash, which makes it not so, so good. attractive. To not impossible, certainly. You know, I think that OpenWork, OpenWork, yeah, OpenWork kind of draws that line. DDWork doesn't mind making itself run on two megs of flash, and there are lots of devices with two megs of flash that you could put a perfectly good and usable operating system on. But much better to have at least four megs of flash because then you can do something really useful with it. Uh, and, and, you know, and it depends on your usage. I think if it's a very special purpose built device, which is the definition of an embedded device. Two megs of flash, you might be able to cram one piece of functionality in it. And I think what a lot of users are looking for in some of the embedded devices today is it for it to be a network switch, a firewall, a wireless access point, and a VPN concentrator and all this functionality. And you just can't get that functionality in two megs of flash. But if you wanted to run something that, hey, was just an access point, you could do that in two oh, megs yeah. of flash oh, without yeah. a problem. So, uh, you know, don't, I mean, don't, two di- megs of, don't discount two megs of flash. Absolutely. Thank you, Larry. Yes. I like that we've progressed to the point where you can just, you know what I'm talking about before <laughs> I even say it. Uh, and this device does run VX works to tie into our story. And Wikipedia is reporting that it is not compatible with any third party firmware yet. Yet. Being yet. the operative word. Being the operative word. But it is a Broadcom, a newer chip. Oof. A 5354KFBG in the WT54G2 router. 
crappy. So maybe someone will hack it. Bad. Would be kind of neat, I think, to have. I think you know the the to go back to the original purpose of hacking. It would be kind of neat to have control over your device. That you go to the store, you pay the thirty nine, forty nine, fifty nine dollars for. I I want access to it. I want to be able to change whatever I can change on the device. I don't want to be limited to what the manufacturer is telling me, because um, that's just the kind of the the hackers that we are. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You know uh, what I'm saying. Do. Speaking of hackers. Speaking of hackers, they're hacking databases because they now represent the low-hanging fruit. And I will say they not only are the low-hanging fruit, they are also potentially the, quote, keys to the kingdom. Yeah, hosting some of the most sensitive information Mm -hmm. for the organization. Now, this article is a bit sensational. The first part of the article basically is the sky is falling view of database security which is kind of uh, interesting. But uh, the other problem that I have with the story is that they don't offer much in the way of evidence that this is happening. They open up the article and they say database security is a dismal, dismal area of our encompassing IT security architecture. And I'm like, well, okay. And then they go on and they talk about ways to hack into databases, but they never present evidence that databases actually pose this problem. Like there's no statistic in there about number of databases hacked or anything to really truly back up what they're saying. Now, I can offer some of that in my limited experience because I know several Mm. organizations that I've talked to who said, oh, well, we don't hardly ever apply database patches because they just break things and we don't have enough cycles to be able to apply all these patches coming out like from Oracle. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Why wouldn't you do that? I don't I don't quite mm. understand that. And then, you know, not only do they not apply the patches to the database, but I've seen a lot of them that don't change the default password. Mm. And this, you know, first-hand experience on penetration testing. Uh-huh. Try the default passwords. And... Also, I've seen on penetration tests, you know, backups of databases. I've talked about this before, laying around and me not even have to necessarily hack into the database, but maybe that database exists somewhere else for me to download. And it's just like this general lack of awareness about database security. And there are some really smart people doing research into how to hack into databases. I think... You know, despite the lack of evidence in this article, that there's certainly a target by attackers. I mean, look at the recent SQL injection attacks that were happening in the past couple of weeks. Certainly underscores that these are targeted by attackers because, as you said, Larry, they contain the juicy information. They contain mm-hmm. the proprietary or sensitive information that goes along with an organization. They contain the social security numbers, the credit card numbers all of the information that attackers are going to use to make money. So why would they not target these databases? Now, what I don't understand is it seems like databases are falling in the same category of embedded devices Mm -hmm. and that if it's not a server or a desktop or some kind of network security device, it doesn't get any attention, it doesn't get funding, it doesn't get expertise, it doesn't get implemented in a lot of organizations. That means it also didn't get any security and it you know this is not every organization but just a general trend that i've noticed that this article highlights is that 
organizations aren't putting security around their databases, even though they contain the absolute keys to the kingdom. And what I find just fascinating is that if you go to any company, university, healthcare provider, whatever industry that you're in, and you ask me, say, hey, you know, do you have a network firewall? And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we got two of those. We got firewalls. We just, you know, we just spent $60,000 on our firewalls. We've got a dedicated engineer, network or security engineer, and much of his job or her job is locking down these firewalls. And, you know, we, we got all that. And I'm like, okay. You got databases? Yeah. You got databases? And I'm like, yeah, we got databases. You got any security processes? Oh, no, security no, wait, people? wait. No, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy the latest and greatest database technology, whether it be Microsoft SQL, Oracle, right. MySQL, you name it. You got any security around that? No. What do wait, you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny that we both said the same thing. What do you mean? What do you mean security around our databases? We, we've got a guy that did, you know, that administers, administers the database, databases, right, right? But they're not secure. But what? What do you mean, like secure? He like puts passwords on them. So th- maybe I, this is why uh, attackers are focusing on this because they're realizing that keys to the kingdom exist in the database, and people aren't paying attention to database security. Same mm. thing with embedded devices. I, may, you know, may, may, maybe keys to the kingdom isn't quite the wrong right word. Maybe kingdom is the right word. I think it's more. Information that can yield profit, yeah. really, is yeah. what so it boils th- that, down that to. May, that may be considered the kingdom because you, your username, your password, your access would be the, quote, keys to that kingdom. Right. And this is, in fact, the, quote, kingdom. And here's the thing, though. You know, once an attacker gains access to a system, either through an open port in the firewall, such as through maybe a web application or a client-side attack, that since... Once an attacker does that, since there's no security around the database at that point, that access to all of that information is typically gained with some ease. And this is one of the problems that you know we have in many of our security architectures that needs to be fixed. It's not an easy fix. I'm not saying it's easy to implement database security, but this article highlights how it needs to come to the forefront and how... Really, in a global picture, your security strategy needs to be so much more encompassing than the checklists that are out there by your auditors and put out there by your vendors like you need a firewall and you need this and you need that and then you're secure. It's like, no, you need to have a comprehensive and not only comprehensive but fluid and dynamic and constantly changing security strategy to help protect your organization's uh, family jewels, essentially, Larry. (laughs) Yeah, we like the family jewels. So tell me about free Wi-Fi at Starbucks. Yeah, but wait a minute. You can get free Wi-Fi at Starbucks, and it's actually billed now in in one of the features of this product that you can get. This fantastic little product called an iPhone. What? Yeah. So now if you go to the AT&T site and you go and uh, you sign up for your service for your iPhone, it says you can get free Wi-Fi at AT&T hotspots, including Starbucks and others, as a feature. So that's that's really cool. So we can get, you know, you and I can, you know, we take our iPhones, we get out of Starbucks, and we can get free, you know, web browsing on our iPhone at, over Wi-Fi and not over the edge network at Starbucks. 
So you know. Go ahead. I know where you're going. No, with no, this. no. So you know how they're controlling that? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, me, wait for Mr. It. Carter, Mr. Carter. How Mr. are they? Carter. How, how are they in fact controlling it, Paul? User agent. You bet. Yes. That so is if so you awesome. if your user agent as a mobile Safari user shows up at their captive portal, they say, "Go ahead, go straight on through." You don't need to log in. You don't need to pay. Oh, that's all. Really? That's at all Starbucks yeah, now? Uh-huh. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm going so, to Starbucks tomorrow. So. Did I say you, that out loud? Use Fire. To get my Quin, quintiple nipple venti something freaking latte. Soy no whip. Soy wah, wah. mocha something. Right. So if you want to use the web while at Starbucks, use the Firefox user agent switcher to set your user agent to mobile Safari. And get free web browsing. Woohoo! I love it. And, and you know, this is sort of it. this is sort of one of the things that we talked about about sort of placing the quote authentication and the quote keys in the hands of the user, because when you provide those keys to the user, they can modify them as they see fit. Yep. without your control, and you cannot verify that whether or not they've been I used. Mean, defense here. I mean, back. really, no matter what you do. Filtering a MAC address usually change my MAC address. Yeah, it, it's going to be able to be subverted by anyone with mm-hmm. even some of the most basic uh, computer security skills, right? You know, or, or even someone who's really savvy with computers. Really, any geek is going to be able to bypass that. Yeah. Now, um, on, honestly, I could probably send my mom with a laptop reconfigured that she would have to change the user agent. To Starbucks, and yeah, she could probably can, do that. You can definitely train people to do that too. Yeah, you bet. So, uh, releasing snippets of binary analysis, believe it or not, is still responsible disclosure, despite popular belief. Core came under some scrutiny recently because they found a vulnerability back in January of this year, or something like that, in a particular software product. In their disclosure, which we've talked about on the show, is always responsible. It is the mm. model. For responsible disclosure, they uh, released some binary analysis that showed just a snippet of code. And the technical details are all in this blog post. But essentially what it was was like a generic binary analysis with comments of a particular generic function. No indication yeah. like like someone could just take that and go code an exploit immediately from it. Uh, but yet they still came under fire. And I think that, you know, when you disclose a vulnerability, you're always going to have information being disclosed that could lead to some kind mm-hmm. of, um, a, you know, information gathering that could then lead to someone developing the exploit for it. Yeah, I'm looking at I mean, this, even lo- just you coming out and saying software XYZ has a vulnerability, that's going to make attackers go download version X of software XYZ and go, okay, there's a bug in here somewhere. I know it. And if, you know, they're fairly skilled in some way to find vulnerabilities and run exploits for it, they're going to find that rather quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, I mean, does it really matter, like, how much information that you're giving them? Maybe. I mean, you don't want to tell them exactly. You don't want to. So there's, here's the, 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 the lines of delineation. I say that there's a vulnerability in software XYZ version X, 
versus releasing the exploit. Everything else is going to fall in between that. Going back to your point, Larry, as defenders, I want to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I, I may not just want to know. I want to know more than like software XYZ version X has a vulnerability. I want to know like a little more about that vulnerability so that I can tailor my defenses. You Is it bet. in this specific functionality mm-hmm. of software XYZ that I can go, oh, I don't use that specific functionality of software. Maybe I can me, disable XYZ. it. Maybe I can disable that. Maybe, maybe I can, I can create a workaround. Some, right, maybe I can create some local firewall rules. That I can do immediately mm-hmm. while I have time to QA and test my patch because yep. that uh, has to happen. And, you know, unfortunately, you're going to kind of lag behind in your patch because you have to do that kind of thing right. if it's a mission-critical app. You but bet. there may be things that you can test much easier and go, well, if I turn off feature X, this vulnerability right up says that should, you know, take care of the vulnerability. So, you know what, let's do that um, and then work on applying the patch, which sometimes vendors, when they release a patch, it's not just a patch for that vulnerability. They may say, in open source software, does this i think more often than commercial software they say well upgrade from version 3.1 to 3.2 and that fixes the problem and it's like well i'm running a mission critical app here on 3.1 and now you're telling me to upgrade to 3.2 i need to test that and make sure it doesn't break anything but if i've got some insight i can put in the workaround yep and that's just kind of that's kind of my spin on on the whole thing so don't Mm -hmm. get your panties in a wad if information gets released in your vulnerability announcement because there's a line there that yeah it may help bad guys but it may also help good guys and i think you mm-hmm. when you release information you need to kind of you need to play that balancing act and do that responsibly and core yeah. always does that resp- i mean we talk about oh, yeah. about their vulnerability announcements all the time mm-hmm. and they always do that responsibly and, so. quite, and a lot of that quite frankly they don't want to get sued into oblivion and this article supports core's um uh stance and yep. their vulnerability announcement and this was a researcher from veracode another very well-known uh security research and focusing on software security mm-hmm. so provide some great in-depth technical analysis of that story speaking about uh responsible disclosure or not why don't we skip ahead a little bit to Aviv, Aviv Raff's treasure treasure hunt. Yeah, I love Aviv. He's great. <laughs> yeah, so so Aviv uh, discovered uh, an Internet Explorer zero day. He notified Microsoft, and a day later posted that exploit somewhere on his website. And it's up to you to find it. You bet. Hmm. So how exactly does this work? You got to search his website. So now he's probably getting tons of hits on his website, which is he good. He said he was going to release hints too. Yeah. So, do we get any hints since we posted? I, I haven't seen it. But so, the question is: Did he just put the code somewhere on his website? Did he put it in text, or did he actually implement the exploit? So you I browse mean, you really to don't it know. and you get exploited. <laughs> you really don't know. Yeah. This is "Happy Birthday, Israel" is the title because right, it's right, sixty that, years of being an independent uh, country. Yep. So what do you think, Paul? Is this you know sort of responsible disclosure, or is this responsible practices? I I just think this is kind of neat. I, I, <laughs> you know? I do too. I, I I don't know what else to say about that. I don't. I think it's kind of uh, weird. It, it's. It, I think it's just kind of neat. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. It's I mean, there. if you're Microsoft, I hope that you employ people smart enough to go find the exploit on his website. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. I I mean, really. I think that the big vendors need to do a better job of keeping up with what's happening out there in the world of computer security and especially, you know, 
bug hunters and vulnerability disclosure oh. and see what's happening out there. And, you know, they're Microsoft. They oh. employ some smart people. Go find wait, it. Wait a minute. Now that I see this. Yeah. IE7, IE8 users will get owned. Interaction with the exploit is needed. There's no need to find the post. It's everywhere. 404 is the way to go. Acidus was right. Local resources is the key. Huh. Yeah, it's like a it's like a riddle. Yeah. It's like a it's like a riddle. Now I'm really you don't give a crap whether it's just responsible or not. I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he said it's kind of neat. Like yeah, you kind of like well, you didn't tell the vendor about it, but. You didn't tell the world about it because people still had to be smart enough to find it on your website. So uh, it's kind of yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of neat. Yeah, I, and I saw some stuff that was really interesting today. He and says that some of you guys are out there are already in the right direction. Some are not. I've added two more clues. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that uh, that uh, Aviv is apparently partial to is cross-site scripting. And I saw something very interesting about cross-site scripting and browsers. And uh, versions of Apache today. Hmm. So and uh, involving four hundred four file not found. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read from the uh, the website i hacked dot com. Please and, do. Um, I'm gonna read the words of Deviant Al- Alman. Devi- That's the one. Devi- Deviant Alman. Yeah. Deviant is uh, the one that appears in Shmukan. You bet. And uh, amongst others. Yeah, he's uh, very good at lock picking. So Mm -hmm. he writes, picture this. You spot a key ring laying on a desk. You, for whatever reason, would really really like a copy of that key. Your ninja-like reflexes kick in as you fling a quarter out of your pocket next to the key. Slyly, you use nothing more than a cell phone camera to quickly snap a picture of these items. Nobody notices this because... You're a ninja. However, there are plenty of ways nor- of for normals to make that action next to unnoticeable. Even leaving the quarter there afterwards may not raise much suspicion. Even someone may even pocket that without batting an eye. He then goes on to describe how by taking a picture of a key with a quarter next to it, you can then get the correct, um, what do you call it? Dimensions, uh, dimensions and size, a ratio, aspect ratio to cut out some aluminum, some metal, do some other kind of magic and make a key that will open the lock. Mm. Yeah, that's like taking the uh, picture of the key off of uh, one of the voting machine websites and mm-hmm. making a copy from the picture and uh, using it to unlock voting machines. I mean, this can even like be handier than like actually picking the lock. And, I mean, people put a lot of faith in the lock, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this was just kind of a cool hack um, in my opinion. Could be coupled, you know, use this with uh, penetration testing and, and couple this physical attack with some attacks against computer systems as well. Yeah, pretty cool. Very interesting article. Mm-hmm. URL encoding via Morse code. I don't see that still. Oh, it's up a little bit. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, The Morse code Rickroll. <laughs> yeah. URL encoding. How do you do that? So basically you um, – where is it? You have to um, 
it basically ends up being a cross-site scripting attack and mm-hmm. you're calling a script at another website, his, that decodes um, pluses and minuses oh. and so forth that you pass to this other script on his website to decode it and then f- send it back to the user. Uh, <laughs> well, that's kind of scary. So he texts you to a tiny URL that mm-hmm. um, then takes you to a YouTube video of, oh, God. Yeah. Even. <laughs> Dude, that song was stuck in my head for like two weeks straight. Oh, man. It's horrible. I, I, and, of course, you know, I, I had something that uh, I was doing an investigation at work on some stuff. And uh, I ended up having to uh, spend some time sifting through someone's blog looking for information that they were posting about their job Yeah, that they shouldn't have been. And every one of the blog posts had I'm listening now to and more than once came up. I'm listening now to Rick Astley. Astley. Are you serious? I'm serious. Like they were actually listening to him. They were actually listening to him. Like on purpose, not because they got Rickrolled. Unless yeah. they got oh, yeah. Rickrolled oh, a no, lot. No, 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 no. It was coming from like their iTunes or their you know, VLC media player or whatever. And when they did the blog post, it was actually you know using that interface to their client that grabbed that. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So Mozilla distributed a whole bunch of code to um, Vietnamese-speaking people via a language pack. That was Trojan. Saigon! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's very scary. It came out this week, and they estimate that since February 19th, 17,000 copies of Firefox were downloaded with malicious code. That is a frightening number. And so many of us, like security professionals, for example, use Firefox and are very diligent about patching our systems. Uh However, how would you detect that malicious code had infected your system? Good question. Mozilla's uh, antivirus software that they were using to scan everything as it gets uploaded uh, to their site for download by the rest of the internet did not detect this particular uh, malware until just recently. Mm, wait a minute, was it signature based? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> probably. I mean, it just flat out missed it, and you know, I mean, you can't. I mean, you can point a lot of fingers in a lot of directions, but. This is very, very scary, and this is a, a you know an attack vector that uh, frightens me greatly. I think that one of the things that we can do in defense that I could think of for this story was along the lines of like what Richard Baitlick and Matt Yonkman talk about yeah. with extrusion detection. It's really hard, in, especially this is a great example mm-hmm. of how it's really hard to prevent this attack from happening. Yes. Antivirus software is not going to pick it up. It's coming from a trusted source from Firefox. It's an application that's widespread that users are going to install. And when that happens, you get owned and your saving grace in all of this is that you might be able to detect the malware phoning home. If you see your computer connecting to 
another site out there that you didn't initiate the connection that doesn't look like normal traffic. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's an encrypted connection. Maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. And Does may, it matter? If you right. can detect that. And may, in fact, be known sites that are you know, contacting you can say, or malware. Holy crap, my system is owned. Holy crap, it's a crapple. Holy crap, it's a crapple. Holy crap, it's malware. <laughs> <laughs> and, and detect that this is happening. So defensive-wise, and a lot of the emerging threats rules that Larry and I were playing with today are extrusion based. They're looking at the user agent string. They're looking at machines talking out, infected with spyware, infected with other kinds of malware. Mm-hmm. That and I think that's a great way to detect them. You bet. Dumpster diving, Larry. Oh man, this story was just. Whew. I, I this the story actually. I was thinking about it, and it kind of took my breath away. So. I subscribed to this new blog about uh, some information disclosure type of stuff. And one of the things that they posted that uh, some apparent dumpster divers discovered uh, that a medical facility had um, disposed of some medical records inside of this dumpster. And they were in the dumpster finding these medical records and, uh, oh my, maybe I should report this. But they found something worse. Worse? Yeah. They found the illegally disposed of um, remnants from abortions along with those medical records. Oh. Yeah. And I like dumpster diving and all, but the worst I usually find is dirty diapers and coffee grounds. <laughs> oh. oh. So they, re- they had to report them. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. not not And not only just the, the documents, but... Ooh. It, it, and this what? was people doing it legitimately with permission? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, dumpster diving? Probably. Probably I don't, not. I don't know. Probably not. But right. still, yeah. uh, you know, improper, illegal disposable, disposal of medical waste. Yeah. Right, you know, uh, the whole abortion political discussion aside. Out the window, yeah. You, yeah. Don't even think about that. I mean, you know. Just, what, it could have been any medical it, waste. Exactly. Yeah. It, exactly. And not good. No, and my thought on this was, you know, folks that or businesses that are doing, you know, one, not only the improper disposal of these types of records, but the improper disposal of medical waste on top of it should be taken out back and summarily shot. Yeah, uh, Larry at Paul.com, dot com, dot com. For any feedback on that one, yeah, feel free to flame me, but please leave the the abortion political discussion out of it. Um, you know, if you're dumpster diving, you just never know what you might find. You My suggestion is wear rubber glo- rubber gloves. <laughs> wear re- rubber suit. Wear rubber suit and or s- boots. Boots and clothes. In addition to the rubber gloves and the boots, you want to wear some protective clothing when. You're yeah, doing the dumpster, dumpster diving. diving. You bet, because uh, those coffee grounds can also get messy. <laughs> and on that note, on that note, we're going to cut to a short commercial break. Come back and wrap up the show. I'm fired. Raise the bar of quickiness. I'm chugging under. <laughs> yes, and if you're hot. Joe Lawley. Who? Rob. 
Joe Lawlin. Second Life is such an awful place, and I don't recommend it to anybody. That's why MySpace exists. For lols. For lols. Lols. Basically. Yes. Except we haven't heard the, the story time with Twitchy Music in so long. Mm. I just... I had to hear it. Yeah, so next week we can do the story time with Twitchy slash Bob because hopefully by next week I'll have a... Uh, a uh, blog me. posting on some, quote, story time with Bob stuff. Hey, guess what, Larry? The uh, core discount code <laughs> is uh, Impact BSG, my friend. As in Medical Star Galactica? That is correct. For our good friend Mike Yaffe. Our good friend Mike Yaffe. And all our friends the at Core Security. Security. Yvonne. Futo. Eric Sherman. Oh, Alex. Alex. Selena, new agent deployed. Have you heard that? Have you heard his voice? Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. All of a sudden, I heard his voice one day. It's awesome and it's also sad in the same in the same breath. Sometimes I just call up Alex and I'm like, Alex, can you just say new agent deployed? Because it just it gives me like warm fuzzies. Boner. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't say that loudly. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, oh boy! Don't forget uh, our uh, cafe we, press store. We plugged all our stuff. Yeah, IRC Cafe Press mm, Frapper Map. Frapper Map. We haven't looked at that the one people, in a long time. Frapper's yeah, kind of dead, but people are still updating our map. I know it's one of those Web 2.0 things that kind of died on the vine. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, it's oh, Rock That must mean the lovely Mrs. Paul dot com dot com. Thirty eight weeks pregnant. Oh man. Hey, buddy. And that concludes this edition of Paul.com Security Weekly. Over and not quite out yet. Shannon wants the baby over and out. <laughs> I bet she does.